The first time Gullus is mentioned is in the Bris Bain Abbasadim, the covenant Bain Abbasadim, which is the, the uh, covenant that God made with Avram, um, where he prophesies the Egyptian exile and the redemption of, uh, out of the Egyptian exile, along with the divine promise that ultimately Avram's offspring will inherit the Holy Land as an eternal heritage. So, in the Brisbane Absarim, it says, a great dark dread fell upon him. And that alludes to the four exiles of Israel. And the Bris speaks, speaks explicitly of the Egyptian exile and the redemption thereof. But it also alludes to the later four periods of Gullus and exile within the worlds, within the words, excuse me, dread, darkness, great, and the word fell. And Israel's ultimate redemption and restoration in the promised land. Now, a covenant, a bris, creates a permanent bond. Thus, even if a situation should arise in which there is no reason for a loving relationship, and in fact, there may be sound reasons for the very opposite of love, the existing covenant assures that the bond of love remains in full force. In times of a well-founded relationship of love, there's no need for a covenant. The sole purpose of making a pact, this bris, this covenant, is to assure the permanence of that loving relationship, that it should not depend undefined reasons and considerations. In other words, it shouldn't be a conditional love which ceases once its cause is no longer, but rather that it should be a love that is essential and unrestricted. A covenant is established when there is a manifest sense of this essential and unconditional love. The covenant is then made to assure that this love remains forever, regardless of any changes that may occur in the future. In this context, then, it would seem difficult to understand why there should have been any reference to Gullus at the time of the covenant, Bain Absar, Gullus is the very opposite of a loving relationship, even of a considered love and let alone an unconditional love. Why then should there have been any mention of exile of Gullus at that time? Now offhand, one might answer this question by referring to the tradition that Avram, Abraham, chose subjugation to foreign powers, that's Gullus, over the alternative of Gehina, or Gehina, um, that's purgatory. Gullus, therefore, is a favor, and the discussion of it will fit into that moment of manifest love. This answer, however, is not fully satisfactory. After all, the time of the covenant was one of manifest love, revealed love, of essential love. In a time like that, there should be no reference to either Gehina, a purgatory, or subjugation to others. We can understand this, however, when considering the Hasidic explanation of the deeper meaning of Gullus. In this same context, we can also resolve a difficult concept that appears in the Gemara and the Midrash. The Gemara says that when the Yidin, when the Bnei Yisrael obeyed the Ratzon Hashem, the will of God, the Cherubs, the Keruvim, faced each other. And these were on the cover of the Holy Ark. So, so they faced each other according to the space of each with wreaths around, round about. In other words, like a man embracing his companion. And when Israel did not obey the will of God, which implies that it was not a time of auspiciousness. So then they were in opposite their position, away from each other. And the Medrash says, that when the heathens entered the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadosh, they found the Keruvim facing one another like a man embracing his companion. They seized and showed them to all the nations, exclaiming, see, see what this people worships. Now this raises an obvious question. The time of the Churban, of the destruction of the temple, was not one of auspiciousness. Why then would the Kruvim face one another? So Chassidus explains the deeper meaning of the Gullus 
with an analogy of the relationship between a teacher and his disciple. When a teacher, a Rav, tries to convey an insight to his Talmud, to his students, a disciple, the teacher expresses personal concern for him. It may happen, though, that in the middle of this engagement, suddenly the teacher's mind is struck by a new insight. Now, normally when something like that happens, one must concentrate on this flash of insight or else it will be lost. And no effort will restore it. By virtue of the teacher's profound love and devotion to the student, he wants to concentrate on the flash of insight in order to fully grasp it himself and then also to transmit it to a student. Now, the greater the teacher's concentration on the new insight, the lesser is his attentiveness to the disciple and the weaker his influence upon him. Moreover, the more profound the subject matter of that flash of insight, the greater concentration it requires. In turn, this implies also a greater distancing himself from the student at that time to the point that for the student it's like a state of gallus and Khurba. However, this state of gallus is only on the external level. In true reality, it signifies ultimate revelation. Indeed, it is worthwhile for the teacher to distance himself from the student for the latter's own benefit. It allows for the possibility of the new insight to be conveyed to the student as well. The preciousness of the, of the new insight makes it worthwhile for the student to undergo a momentary gallus so that in the end it will be revealed to him. In fact, the extent of that revelation is proportionate to the extent of the concealment. So this analogy provides the deeper meaning of the gullus. Externally, it appears as exile and destruction. In reality, however, is an ultimate form of revelation, manifesting the future redemption. In view of the future redemption, it's worthwhile to have the external gullus and khurban, which is only temporary, so that in the end, we may have the revelation of that future redemption. This concludes today's Mashiach in 5. We'll continue this talk of the Rebbe with Hashem tomorrow.